Thanks for tuning into Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This episode is our last in a series ahead of the local elections on November 2nd. There are a lot of important elections in Virginia this year. The governor's race has received a lot of national attention as a bellwether election, and our sister podcast, Bold Dominion, recently did an episode on that race. But we also have some very important local elections. You can listen to our interviews with state delegate Sally Hudson and the two Democratic City Council candidates in this feed. But today, we're talking to independent City Council candidate Yaz Washington. And in the second half of the episode, we're back to our usual arts and culture coverage with the editors of the latest issue of Mala Leche, a local feminist zine. But first, I'm going to hand things over to Katherine Hansen for her interview with Yaz Washington. If you just wanted to start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. My name is Yaz Washington, and I am a candidate. I'm running for city council here in Charlottesville. There is an upcoming election on November 2, and I'm very excited to be able to use my experience from uh, working on political campaigns. One for Jim Hensley, who ran for Commonwealth District Attorney in Albemarle County with a progressive platform. Also, as well, working for Dr. Cameron Webb. He ran for the fifth congressional seat. Other than that, I have my company, Rocket Science. I've been able to uh, work in the community with the high-risk spectrum. Being able to work with Aaron um, Adolescents with the city of Charlottesville as a youth counselor assistant. So to kind of transition from doing that type of work to being able to build my own platform and being able to offer um, solutions for Charlottesville, as I think that there's a lot of um, ones that we have, and I think that we've had a lot of great plans in the past, but I would like to be able to analyze that as I have over the past couple of months and build onto it to make a plan that works. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your company, Rocket Science? Rocket Science is a marketing agency. Um, I definitely have a a mission, and it's to be able to bring people together from different walks of life. And I definitely think the art is a way to do that while making sure that I'm able to use the platform or more so the revenue to be able to do um, a thing that's really important to me. And being a humanitarian community attention is something that I find that's always pulling me, but also as well making sure that I'm able to offer solutions and ones that work. On your homepage, you describe yourself as a politico and an activist. What sparked this change towards being a politician? With my company, Rocket Science, uh, I saw that there was a lot of distrust within the community. Um, and we were still working on rebuilding. Um, and there was a lot of racial tension due to August 12th. It definitely brought me to want to work within the community to be able to actually bring about change. I was organizing my own events for rocket science and kind of like dipping my foot in before I started the CIC workshops. With that being said, I kind of transitioned because I'm like, you know, I'm doing the work, but how do I really how do I really change things? Because right now it just kind of seems like I'm walking around um, Charlottesville, but I'm not being um, as productive as I would like to be. I actually had the pleasure of meeting um, Jim Hensley's uh, campaign manager, which was a really great experience, and working on that campaign, it just brought to light a lot of things going on uh, within our criminal justice system. 
but also to not just the issues that I'm already aware of, but just being able to actually um, offer solutions and being able to make change through reforms. And I think the best way to do that is through political influence. So how have working on both Jim Hensley's and Dr. Cameron Webb's campaigns inspired your campaign? Whether it's through maintaining public safety, what does that look like? And, you know, I'm not a Commonwealth attorney um, like Jim or uh, Joe. With that being said, continuing to make changes through policies and um, what does this look like? And I definitely think recommendations to OAR, which is a diversion system. There's things like Home to Hope, the Fountain Fund. So these are, um, you know, uh, sometimes when individuals are returning um, home and, you know, they're back in the society and what do they do? So I think that it's really great for them to have um, all of these partners and being able to build relationships with people that can actually help um, make sure that they don't end up back in that cycle of being incarcerated, but actually working to maintain public safety through all of that. I have my own recommendations on my website, like the pretrial policy which is allowing um, low-level offenders to return home and they're able to start their probationary services or they're able to go to drug court or um, utilize the therapeutic docket. And I think all of that's really great as they're able to kind of work on that prior to going to trial. And I think it's really great because we were able to also analyze our budget through all of that as well, um, which is a little risky, but not exactly because, again, these are low-level offenders. Um, And while we're continuing to house them at ACRJ, um, I think it's really great for us to utilize OAR as it is there, but also as well making sure that we're able to, you know, utilize the revenue that's left over and being able to allocate it to uh, things like social work or public education. That's how you really get to the core of the issue is by building individuals up. What are some policy areas that you think directly affect the Charlottesville community? With us talking about urban development, there's the land use map that, uh, you know, the Planning Commission is working to uh, rewrite our uh, zones. I definitely think that that's great. It's a really important part of um, urban planning. And so with that being said, I think that we should have tree conservation ordinances to be able to support that, where while we're building Charlottesville up, we don't want to tear down um, core parts of our ecosystem. And um, these are natural pollutants. Um, They're um, natural rain barriers. So uh, with that being said, we definitely want to make sure that we're continuing on our journey of being a sustainable city while also working towards carbon neutrality. So of your four positions, two of them are urban development and eco-management. Why is that a central part of your campaign? Yeah, well, uh, over the last three or so years, Charlottesville's population has grown by about 4,000 residents. We're now at a population of 50,000 residents. You know, there starts to be a, a question or more so a concern of our housing supply. So um, there's definitely a need for residential development, but also, too, to stimulate economic activity, there's a need for commercial development as well, whether that's capital projects with the reconfigurations of the school, uh, West Main Improvement Plan, um, our zoning rewrite, and, um, you know, definitely revitalizing um, government-sponsored dwelling, um, so as seen with CRHA. So while we're working to build the city up, continuing to be inclusive is important, continuing to be equitable. When we're talking about development um, and you continue to hear the word uh, gentrified or gentrification, 
There is definitely um, that raising concern for um, the cost of living as that continues to spike. So with that being said, we need to make sure that we're accommodating is Charlottesville for our low to moderate income individuals and families or um, simply for individuals looking to relocate as that is a determining factor as well. Then, you know, when talking about um, eco-management and what that looks like, well, with more people, more people means more emissions. So with that being said, um, now is more important than it has been in the past to make sure that we're able to take preventative measures um, like tree conservation ordinances. There's the retrofit lighting and also investments into urban agriculture, which I find to be very important as we're talking about divesting from fossil fuels or even um, being able to use this as a means to provide food security to low-income individuals and also too as we work to build them up and uh, we're working to tackle things like um, the shortened life expectancy making sure that we're able to reduce uh, health complications all of that can be seen through these investments as well. So also on your website, you list public safety and equitable education as your two other positions. Would you like to talk more about those as foundations to your campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you talk about public safety, definitely uh, we have uh, our uh, local law enforcement here. We're working to, at large, uh, on a national spectrum, hire a chief of police. I think that it's important for our police officers to have solidarity. I also think that it's important to make sure that they're regularly attending um, training so that we don't have incidents similar to George Floyd take place. Um, We want to make sure that not only are our residents safe, but we want to make sure that when police officers are engaging with the public, that it's not in a hostile manner. I think that the satisfaction of law enforcement is important, and I think that making sure that they have um, someone that they can look to, but also to having the supervisory board, um, which is the PCRB, which I do support as well, which should um, work to reduce uh, misconduct um, within the department. So if elected, what are your top three priorities as councilwoman? So uh, we have uh, the top priorities, and I think that, uh, one, it's a very simple slogan, and I think it's great, which is to build back better. COVID has strained a lot, um, whether it's infrastructure of city council or whether it's just individuals uh, feel like they are financially at odds. I think it's great that we work to avoid a recession, um, continuing to offer relief as we work towards economic recovery is important. There are certain things that are outdated and we need to work to modernize the city at large. And I think it's important that we don't just focus on one district, but we remember that we have eight districts here in Charlottesville and all of them need attention. And with that being said, making sure that we, um, whether it's with developing neighborhoods, working to provide things like uh, walkability. Simply put, we need sidewalks so that we're able to reduce pedestrian incidents. Um, Also, as well, things like uh, the tree conservation ordinance. We want to make sure that uh, we're not affecting the air quality here. But also, as well, we need to make sure that we're not cutting down trees and having an issue of uh, things like flooding. We want to make sure that Charlottesville, not only that is safe, but that we have a diverse economy, but also one that works for the low-income individuals, which is where you start to hear um, recommendations like universal pre-K. 
in the past, it's been things like, uh, you know, typically your income or, you know, um, being a city employee or a UVA employee or anything of that nature are things that are looked to when um, looking to enroll students. But I definitely think that utilizing taxpayer dollars correctly and being able to make sure that um, everyone's able to benefit. We have 50,000 residents, and I think that it's great to make sure that we're covering the bureaucratic costs and making sure that students, three- to five-year-olds, are able to start their academic careers um, and making sure they're developmentally prepared while um, making sure that um, not just our low-income individuals, but everyone is strained by wait lists or um, the additional cost of private daycares. If you could wave a wand and change one Charlottesville policy right now, which one would you change and why? So I have one that um, I definitely would like to work towards once I am on council. Hopefully (laughs) I'm elected November 2 and I would like to be able to address gun control. As of July 1, state law actually made a firearm policy, which there's a three to five day wait now for background checks that aren't cleared at the point of purchase. With that being said, I would like to further those initiatives by uh, making sure that we have mental screenings, which uh, shows hospitalization records with classified disorders to make sure that, um, you know, felons as well as individuals who are um, mentally ill aren't able to possess firearms. What has been your strategy for communicating with constituents? You know, whether it's as simple as having a meeting, um, you know, with the sheriff or whether it's going and uh, canvassing, which is door knocking, um, you know, being able to make phone calls, emails um, and making sure that um, I'm responsive to individuals who are interested in my platform or campaign and positions. So do you hope to stay in politics? What are your long term goals? I'm excited. Uh, For me, this is my first venture into politics as a politician. So I'm really excited. It's been really great um, just being able to like build onto the knowledge I already had prior to announcing in June. But it's also really amazing to be able to just, uh, you know, whether it's doing research or whether it's just staying up on um, current events and state law. I think that it's really great. And I would like to be able to build onto that and hopefully be able to say in four years that I'm running as a delegate. Once again, Election Day is November 2nd, but you can also vote early in person between now and October 30th at your local registrar's office. More information about voting at elections.virginia.gov. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. All right, for the second half of our show, I'm going to hand things over to Sarah Howarth, who interviewed Sri Kotakala and Corey Price about the third edition of Malo Leche. Could you both start off by just introducing yourselves? You can include your name, your pronouns, your interests or job, and your role in creating the zine. Anything else you'd like to include, really? Sure, I can go first. So I'm Corey Price. I am a photographer and a writer. Go with the pronoun she and her. Um, And I was the guest editor for Malaleche number three. 
Hi, everyone. My name is Sri Kodakala. I am an artist, an arts organizer, and I co-run the Feminist Union of Charlottesville Creatives, which created Mala Leche 3. And could one of you just tell the listeners a little bit about Mala Leche for those who haven't heard about it before? Mala Leche in general is a quarterly radical art zine created by the Feminist Union of Charlottesville Creatives, affectionately known as FOC. The zine includes visual art and writing of women, non-binary, and genderqueer artists and creatives from the Central Virginia area. And Mala Leche is a program of the Bridge Progressive Arts Initiative. And how did you decide on a name and theme for the third installation of the zine? And would you mind describing the theme's importance? Yeah, so Buck reached out to me and, you know, invited me to guest edit. And I've read the the previous editions and contributed to one of the previous editions. So I understand sort of the general feel um, of the zine. Um, And, you know, kind of with that and very loose guidance, you know, it was kind of up to me in creating something that I thought might be interesting to um, different folks in the Central Virginia area that might submit to to the zine. And some of what I really enjoy as a photographer and as a writer is just exploring like science fiction and fantasy and exploring what can be kind of beyond our realm of understanding and beyond our consciousness and really just kind of pressing on some of those boundaries that have been created for us or that we create ourselves as well. So in thinking about them and with my love of all things nerdy and geek, I really wanted to find a theme that would allow for interpretations on science fiction, on fantasy, and also spiritual understandings of our world, and something that would allow for all of that to come together and mesh into one space. So I thought of the title, Window to Another Realm. It's specific enough so that you know kind of what what we're thinking about here and what track of mind we're on, but also open enough to allow for those different types of ethereal or otherworldly type ideas to shine. Yeah, that's so interesting. Just for the record, I love the title. I think all of those ideas are so cool to explore. And how do these themes of fiction, other realms, and spiritual appear in your daily lives? What influences do they maybe have on your everyday consciousness? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm an engineer by background and I, you know, I have another job on top of, you know, my love for photography and writing Uh, that's technical in nature. And with things that are technical, sure, there's creativity, but there are a lot of constraints and there's a lot of, you know, sort of social rules of like how to conduct business and that sort of thing. So I'm always looking for opportunities to escape that mindset and to escape sort of that routine almost. If you want to get nerdy, like that subroutine or a program that's running, I, I kind of want to escape out of that boundary. And for me, I think it's important for us all to get out of what we think is status quo, what we think kind of boxes us together or puts us together or boxes us in so that we can explore what, what changes could really benefit ourselves, the people around us, the people in our world and our network as well as have fun. You know, I think there's some pieces in here that are really testing our thoughts about ourselves and the world and the environment around us, but they're also some really just fun pieces so that you can just like, I don't know, go to another world, go to another place and just kind of get out of your head. It's almost like a little bit of an escape as well. That was really, really well put. I love the variance of being able to be like, I could put on a different um, costume or a different like 
cloak and kind of like enter a different space, even if just for a moment. And I think that's why fiction and just writing and art making is just so important because it gives us this opportunity to kind of like describe ourselves in ways that we may not be able to within the day-to-day or within our physical reality of interacting with one another. Yeah, I think both of those points were so well said. And I read the new issue and I read Ramona's piece and I looked at the art and I was like, I want to have experiences like this. And like, I'm definitely going to be reading the young adult like fantasy fiction novels until I'm 80. I don't care. They're so good. (laughs) Did you have any artistic influences that inspired you during the creation of the third installation? This could be a person, but also something that's a little more spiritual or conceptual too. So for me, I think some of the places that I just in general draw inspiration, there are definitely some really brilliant writers out there, you know, that are more mainstream, like Octavia Butler is is phenomenal, as well as even just being able to, I know this is going to sound lame, but scroll through Instagram and find things that you wouldn't necessarily get connected with and and just kind of absorb that and start thinking like, ooh, what if our worldview looked like this? Or what if in my own creative practice took some of these elements and blending them and starting to play? So I think for me, it's just being open to a bunch of different sources of media and viewing other artwork and being able to sort of think through that and I don't know. I always talk about putting things on the back burner and letting them cook and stew together. So I'm not necessarily actively thinking about it, but I've taken all those things in and just going to let them sit there and stew. And then something delicious is going to brew out of that. And when it's ready, it'll come to mind. I'm like, Ooh, that's a great idea. Okay. Maybe I can implement it this way. Maybe it can be here. Or, Oh, I need to look for other things that are similar in mind to that. So I, I think for me, it just kind of came out of just reading young adult novels as a kid. And I still read young adult novels as an adult and I will until I'm 82, (laughs) you know? Um, So it came from that. It came from my experience as an electrical engineer. It comes from conversations like this, right? It just comes from all over the place. And I think, you know, where the magic happens is it's sitting and brewing and, and really just coming together at the right moments to, to make something um, interesting happen. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I love everything you just said. Was there a piece in the third Mala Leche that really stood out to you both? And why is it special to you? They all stand out. I know they do because I looked through it. But if there was one that really just struck a chord with you, I'd love to know why. Yeah, so for me, um, I just in kind of the first pass of submissions that we looked through Kristen Fenn's expansion, it just caught my eye immediately. And I, I remember like, inhaling sharply, right? Um, Because first you're you're just, you know, you kind of take it in, you look at that whole entire square frame, and then you see the face coming out of that water, coming out of that sunburst, that light. And there's just something about it where it got me thinking, it got me questioning. And I'm also, I'm I'm a photographer, right? So in my head, I'm like, how did she do that? Like, how can I do that? Um, So I, that just caught my eye immediately. And I, I know you asked for one, I'm going to give you two, um, our cover, Candace Agnello's piece, which is Light Path number six. Just, I mean, I think that's such a complimentary image to the title of Malalache 3, because you get framed in by all these fragmented light and fragmented lines to this little crack in a door. It's an invitation, like what Tree was talking about. This is an invitation to come somewhere with us. And what better than this curiosity around a slightly open door. Don't you want to peek inside? Don't you want to 
don't you want to keep going? Don't you want to see what's beyond? I, I, it's just, it's just great. I actually also really love our front cover. And it's funny because, well, like in deciding the curation or layout of this, these pieces, those are the two pieces that Corey was like, they have to be in here. We don't know where, but they have to be. Because I remember that very first um, discussion we had about figuring out, like picking through selections. And I, and those are the first, I love that those are still the ones that you love now because those were your gut reactions when you first saw the submissions. So I wish I had a, like a favorite or like, there's some that I'm drawn to more than others. And I think like as a poet, I, I am drawn to the poetry. So I really love the simplicity of Julia Travers' Little Blue Boat. I also really love Dana Espinoza's Family Reunion. Dana's piece actually was submitted for a previous issue and we ended up bringing it back for this issue because it fit this theme a lot better than it did than it did a previous issue. And I guess like for me, I I think I don't have favorites because I really like being surprised by the submissions that come in. As soon as things came in, I felt like I was making connections between what worked well and what 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 worked well together and where they told kind of a story. And I think like there are certain sets that I love together, like Misha's first, the opening, like the veil with generations, which feels like a kind of like welcome in, like it feels like a, a nice transition to come into the zine and kind of like get yourself grounded first. And then to enter further into a longer story where like Ramona's, which is much longer, is kind of like a plea to understand something that might be outside of your um, consciousness or outside of your realm of thinking. And it's interesting because I feel like if all of the pieces kind of build on one another, my answer is more that I love the pairing of how, how things came to be. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And now I can't wait to go back and look at all these pieces again because I just got re-excited about them. (laughs) But that's the beauty of having it online and people can look and see all the issues whenever they want, which I think is really cool. And now I'm going to ask a little bit about both of your own interests in art and literature. And I'm just wondering how you kind of started your personal artistic journeys or sparked your interests in art that led you to being a part of Mala Leche. That is a good question. And I'm sitting here thinking about how to best answer that. So I think for me, really where the where this theme kind of came from is I started writing this book that is yet to be ready to send to a publisher hopefully next year when I was 16 it was just one of those things where I had this story that I made up in my head and a friend encouraged me to just start writing it down and that just opened this whole realm of (laughs) new possibilities and I I just kept with it I kept with it through the rest of high school through college um, early on in my my career as an engineer and and until now, and I haven't let go of that story. It's changed a little bit, but it's rooted in this connection between fantasy and science fiction. I can't remember who's said the quote, but you know, write the story that you haven't read yet, write the story that doesn't exist yet. As a kid, I didn't really read a lot of that stuff that's blended. And as an engineer, I there was just so many connections that I was finding between things we know with like classical physics and even like particle mechanics, right? There's so much room for creative thought and creative stories there that I'm glad I kept up with it and continue to just ask those what if questions. 
And of course that bleeds over into photography because I, I, I love blending things so much where I, I like to mess around with, you know, making two images in the same sort of image. So it's called uh, multiple exposure, double exposure photography. Um, I like to make things look ethereal and ghostly and get you to kind of question, are there other layers on top of the one that we know? Are there other realities? Are there multiple dimensions? You know, all those fun things and trying to both through words and visually represent those things. So I'm just constantly trying to expand on on that and trying to think and, and play. I think it's important to play and experiment and see what, what happens and what comes of it. So I think this was just a great, you know, Mala Chi 3 was such a great opportunity for me to um, get a little weird with some other creatives in our area or ask them to get a little weird with me and, and see what we we could make together, really. I really appreciate you both sharing about your personal journeys and they're very inspiring to hear. I love that question every time. One last thing, I'm going to ask it again. Do you all have any idea what the next scene could look like? And are there any focuses or themes that sound interesting or you've just been considering offhandedly in the past? So our next issue is going to be somewhat of a B-sides. It's going to be kind of like off the cutting room floor-esque all the things that people have submitted from past issues that haven't necessarily made it into an issue yet. So our next issue is going to be long and it's going to be pretty different from the, the past two. And this next issue is going to be curated by Ramona and I, which is a little throwback to our first issue. That is so exciting. I can't wait to see it. I think that's a really amazing idea. And is there anything else that you'd both like to add before we go ahead and wrap up? I just wanted to say that like this issue would not have happened if it were not for Corey. A big part of us reaching out to her to do this had a lot to do with one, I know Corey personally, but a big part of it had to do with the fact that her work was featured in our second issue of Malaleche. And we had gotten so much positive feedback about her work. And part of us felt like we needed to return the favor. Um, and so this issue, definitely reaching out to her was because of how talented she is as a writer and as wanting to be able to give her more fuel to share her work again and again. Um, and Corey is, hadn't publicly shared her work um, until February of this year um, through the water exhibition, which was at McDuffie Art Center. Um, she was a part of a curation committee called the Charlottesville Black Arts Collective. And they did an amazing job curating a show and Corey's prose was the show's theme. And that was the first time Corey had ever shared her work. And then her work was published in our second issue of Malaleche. And I think a big part of what we're trying to do with Malaleche is to show people that you don't need to have stacked achievements to be able to create beautiful work. And um, Corey is a testament to that. I'm trying not to cry. So thank you for that. That being able to guest edit this and, you know, it's, you dream of like, you have your dreams when you're, when you're a kid and you want to make them happen. Right. And life gets in the way, things get in the way. Just guest editing. This has just been a dream come true. Um, and it's 
just so validating that, you know, I, I already know this, but it's just validating to know that there's value in writing and like what I would like to write. And it just gives you fuel to keep going, you know, and it keeps the fire burning. And it's just so important to have those sort of foundational type opportunities come through because you can always think back on people really enjoyed what I've done before. So even if it's not working out right now, I know that's happened and I can keep going. And it's so important for artists and writers to get that. And I'm just so grateful that that Mala Leche is, is the first kind of place that I <laughs> really publicly said what I, I needed to say. And and I will forever be grateful to that. So thank you, Shree, for, for the opportunity, for the words, uh, and for making me tear up. <laughs> I just I just am so appreciative. Thank you both so much for your time. This was a really special interview. I'm so glad I could finally meet you, Corey. And thanks again, Sri, for hopping on and letting me know that Malaleche 3 was released and happening and that people should definitely see it when they get the chance. You can read the third issue of Malaleche on the Feminist Union of Charlottesville Creatives website. That's H-E-Y-F-U-C-C dot com. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner-McGee. Our assistant producers this week are Katherine Hansen and Sarah Howarth. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Marina Lasko and Jay Punt. This is Charlottesville Soundboard. <laughs>